Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network and live from Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. Sixth and Peabody, our exact location and the venue for Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. If you're ever in Music City in Nashville, swing by, say hello, check out the Outkick 360 studios. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Entire crew making it happen for us today and... What a night it was at Nissan Stadium. Sold out crowd, great Monday night football game, and the Titans win against the top team in the AFC. 34-31 over the Buffalo Bills. We're going to react to that to begin today's show. Glenn Gilbo hits SEC headlines with us today. That's in 30 minutes. Plus, John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, TexasSportsNation.com. He hits all of the NFL Week 6 headlines. We'll peek ahead to Week 7 with John. That's coming up at 3 o'clock Central, 4 o'clock Eastern, and of course, every day, the Tennessee Power Hour. Gentlemen, what a night. What a night. So you talked about Hutton, a lot of people swinging by 6th and Peabody here downtown Nashville when they're in town. Half of Western New York swung by here yesterday, and now half of Western New York, well, probably about a quarter of Western New York because the rest (laughs) live here, are headed back after an L for their Buffalo Bills. I'm shocked. I thought the Titans were more of the team we saw uh, against the Jets and closer, not close to the bottom of their potential, but closer to a team that's going to continue to scuff their knees throughout the year. And I was proven wrong last night. Great performance. Paul, I know that yeah, you wrote about it also. This has kind of become a typical Titans pattern when they're good. They lose in inexplicably bad ways to awful teams. That will be the Jets' one win all season. I'll say that again. And then they come out and they beat a team that we were talking about yesterday, maybe the best team in the AFC. Still might be the best team in the AFC, and they find a way to get it done. And not everything was going right for them in that game either, and they still get it done. That's the thing about them. When they win this sort of game, which we talked about leading up to the game, and and which is why we didn't count them out, uh, because they have the capacity to win these sort of games. And when you look at it statistically, I mean, yeah, there were a couple things. Red zone was way in their favor. But there are a lot of things. If you go through this this game book, the, the box score, if you didn't put a score on it, it you could find a ro- lot of reasons that they would have been on the losing end. But they find a way. If you follow the Titans, this team is like a wave. And the Jets game crashes you down so hard that I'm watching Titans fans last night, and it's such an uplifting thing because you've been in the low of the Jets that if you're in that stadium last night, granted with 20, 25%, whatever, Bills fans, it is such an uplifting thing when they get it going in the second half. They're balancing run and pass. A.J. Brown is finally doing his thing. The Bills can't cover him in the middle of the field. 
Derrick Henry's finishing off his effort, and then they finish it with this goal line stand where Amani Hooker makes the play that forces the fourth and one. Jeffrey Simmons on a stupid play by the Bills, uh, you know, stops Josh Allen, who wasn't getting there, whether he slipped or not, but he couldn't get any traction. And it's this huge, I mean, it it almost makes the, I don't want to say it makes the Jets game worthwhile, like from a record standpoint, but on the emotional swing standpoint, this town is so high because it had been so low and the Titans yet again find a way to win in the big circumstances on the big stage too. Now they can't do it. Once again, they're in a position hunting where they can't do any talking about no national respect and all of this stuff because on national TV against the big boys, they they showed what they can be. They they took care of Buffalo last night, surprisingly, with how that game started uh, and then how it finished. A slow start. Where Ryan so Tannehill miserable. completed four passes uh, by halftime. He had, what, 70 yards passing yeah. at halftime with four completions and came back out and connected on all but three. I think he was 14 of 17 in the second half. And nine for nine in the fourth quarter. And they got A.J. Brown going. Uh, who was he was targeted one time in the first half? Came out starting on that second uh, that first possession of the second half. They started going at him. They targeted him. Fourth and two. Let me st- give a standing ovation to Todd Downing for putting Derrick Henry on the field on a fourth and two. You don't have to give him the football on fourth and two, but the linebackers crept up and they threw a slant for a first down to AJ Brown. That that's moving the sticks and that's the explosion that we saw from. This, this group last year that we can see with A.J. back on the field. We didn't see a full game from Julio Jones, and I know that's part of the injury report that we'll get into later that's lengthy. But this is closer to the Titans' offense, and last night it was the Titans' offense that we're used to seeing, especially in that second half that finished. And when, you, when Buffalo led 23-17, this was one drive into the second half. The stats look like this. Buffalo, 292 total offensive yards to the Titans, 171. And the time of possession, the Bills held the football to that point, 24 minutes and 26 seconds to 9 minutes and 45 seconds for the Titans offense. It was complete domination, but the Titans stayed in it because their defense was excellent in the red zone in the first half and then got the stop at the very end of the game with Jeffrey Simmons that we we can dive into in a moment. But the plays, at that point in the game, 50 plays for Buffalo to the Titans, 22. Ultimately, the Titans ran 51 plays total in this game. They won 34-31, and they had the ball for 17 and a half minutes of the final 25 minutes of the game. They got the time of possession back to almost even, like within a minute, when they were down 2-1 to in time of possession in the first half. Quick mention, you're saying about Henry on fourth and two, which was great. The third down back last night after Jeremy McNichols couldn't go from pre, pre-game warm-ups, we talk about McNichols being a pass-only third down option. They went to an option that was no pass, no run. Kari Blossom game, all block. Their third down back last night was all block. Well, it worked because it they did didn't work. give up. They, they, they kept Tannehill standing. Yes. I mean, that he's a personal And protector. he was bad last night for, for the, the first half of that game, inaccurate, co- confused. Uh, stuck with it though, and and this is the uh, you you get sick of the same storyline. Resilient, stick with it, fought through it. Um, and Josh Allen wasn't particular. You know, Josh Allen was a beneficiary of a secondary that was horrific and dropping like like flies. But the Titans did one of the things that we were talking about. They 
They made him less accurate than he normally is, and he didn't look... The yardage was terrific last night, but in some key moments, he didn't look as good as Josh Allen, the MVP candidate that we hear about. He didn't look to me like an MVP candidate last night. He looked like he was able to take advantage of a bad uh, bad defense at times. But the Titans did a great job against him at, at key moments. I thought Josh Allen was pretty good, and I think it was Josh Allen's running brilliance that won the game for the Titans. Because the, the play that we haven't really talked about yet was the hooker stop at the, the three where it's short Terrific of the first play. down. But if it's not for Josh Allen's sheer will to get out of a tackle in the backfield, to make something happen, and seemingly get the first down with that rush, I mean, I, I'm watching that and thinking, boy, he, he, when I'm watching it live, I thought he picked up the first down. But any other outcome, throwing it away out of the end zone, picking up a yard, completing a short pass, if he does anything but gets a half a yard away from the, the, the first down stick, that game's going to overtime because they're not attempting to oh, go for and fourth down. So in a weird way, that ended up winning the game for the Titans because the one outcome that would have ended it on their behalf at that moment was stopping them on fourth down. And I don't think the Bills are going for it if it's fourth and more than a yard at that point. It's fourth and less than a yard. I like the call. Go for it. Sneak it. I would be screaming to sneak the, do the quarterback sneak in any other scenario. Titans just made a play. Jeffrey Simmons just made a play. I think there was nothing wrong with that call. Nothing wrong with sneaking it there. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that call, but given how bad the Titans were outside at that stage, I would go small and give him a run pass. I always vote for this. Give him a run pass option where he's on the move to the outside where he has a chance if he's running to the end zone to be doing it against the likes of Jack Rabbit Jenkins or or uh, uh, any of the Titans corners at that point because they had lost two guys during the game and they were already depleted and those guys are not up for the task. I'd stay away from Jeffrey Simmons at all costs in a short yardage situation. Well, the the difference, a subtle difference in the game total was the the Titans defense held Buffalo to just 65 yards rushing on their final 20 carries of the game. That, that was huge. And it, it starts with their red zone options, but they did a really nice job of making Buffalo, in a weird way, one-dimensional Yes. Uh, last night. But and, Buffalo's okay being one-dimensional a lot of times. Yeah, but Like, they, they'll go away from the run and just throw it or throw it short. You know, they, they, they've, they harped, they've harped on the fact that they want to be more balanced. And part of the balance is, is, is with, with Josh Allen running. I get that. Uh, going back to that third down play that Amani Hooker made on, on Josh Allen, uh, Sean McDermott said post-game last night that he thought that the, the, the crew had radioed down and had said that, hey, that's not a first down. Respot the football. It's going to be third down. And that's, in fact, what happened. Tom Pelissero tweeted out uh, that Sean McDermott was right. I'm told that this was the replay official, New York, buzzing in to correct the call on the field without stopping the game for a formal review, which would have been, let me, let me jump in. The formal review would have taken place anyway because it's under two minutes and they would have looked at this. Uh, New York buzzed in and said, no need to review it. Move. The, move, move, the, move the football back and it's a half yard short. And in fact, it was. And this is a part of that expanded booth to field communications that are new this season, looking to save time in the review process. And finally, here's a, a clear-cut example of it working. And I hope Titans fans realize the first this could have gone the other direction. But this is how it should work. They immediately saw that it was off. 
and they immediately corrected it. And it happened in real time, fast. Not one of these six-minute reviews where it's supposed to happen in one minute or just stay the call on the field. Uh, so I have no problem with this. This is exactly how it's supposed to happen. Let this be a lesson for NFL officiating. Do this more. Correct the obvious error and keep the game going. In real time, it looked like he got it. I thought he got it in, in real time. And I'm with you, Paul. This is how things are, should be administered. Don't take so much time when you clearly see it. Just tell them what the call should be, respot the football, and, and move on. Playing. I thought that was terrific. That's a great ending. And Jeffrey Simmons made a goal line play in that same end zone against the Chargers, Hutton, correct me if I'm wrong, in his first game when he yep. came off the ACL that the Titans drafted him with. That was week seven, Evans. I believe. He and Rashawn Evans. Rashawn Evans, by the way, made a play last night. He stood up Josh Allen and held him up on a play. It was a mirror, Christmas miracle. Uh, but that's how timely the Titans' defense was in, in crunch time last night that even Rashawn Evans made a play. So Paul made mention that the Titans can't harp on the fact that they're not getting national recognition. I'm not so sure it's the Titans that's getting national recognition today. There's one man getting national recognition, and he's in the Titans' backfield. We discussed Derrick Henry, Henry when we return, and uh, we'll dive into the numbers of what he did on three carries that crushed Buffalo. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. First, though, Toyo's Clinic, see better, look better. If you're ready to enjoy the freedom of not wearing glasses or contact lenses, do like I did. Visit Dr. Rolando Toyos and Toyos Clinic, number one in LASIK uh, provider in Tennessee. They have three locations right here in Middle Tennessee, one in Memphis, one in New York City. Toyosclinic.com is the website. They now offer the latest technology, flapless LASIK. And with flapless LASIK, the very next day, after this procedure, you can swim, you can work out, you can wear makeup. It's so accurate and convenient. Navy SEALs get this procedure. MMA fighters are right back into training after getting flapless LASIK from Toyo's Clinic. And a common misconception is that depending on your age, a remedy to upgrade your eyesight isn't always available. But ages 18 to 88, if you want out of your glasses, Dr. Toyos and Toyo's Clinic can help you. Don't let eyesight hold you back. Call 800-603-1989 to schedule a LASIK consultation. That's 800-603-1989. Tell them Outkick sent you to receive a 10% off discount. Toyo's Clinic, see better, look better. Derrick Henry does it again. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. So, Henry had a 76-yard touchdown run last night, a 13-yard touchdown run, and a 19-yard run in the game. So, those three yards add up to 108 yards on three carries. Pretty efficient. The other 17 carries gained just 35 yards. But... The backbreakers come with Henry, and the Bills end up giving up 143 yards on 20 carries last night and three touchdowns. He's had five performances of 140-plus and three touchdowns. That's outstanding, outstanding production from number 22. And uh, everybody was chanting his name last night at Nissan Stadium, and Twitter was on fire across the country, watching him run against the Bills' defense. It was excellent against the run coming into that game. They were excellent in many categories going into that game. And the Titans 
uh, took care of assignments and business, especially up front of the offensive line. They kept Tannehill clean. Uh, Tannehill came to life in that second half, and Henry kept them in the game in the first half and then did what he does, uh, which is take over. See an uptick today on Twitter, and I imagine last night, though I'm not monitoring it as closely from the press box, of Derrick Henry MVP talk. Um, and it shouldn't be that way. And we've talked about the unfairness of, of the way this works yes. and it being a quarterback award and all of that. But this serves as a reminder. Another thing that helps you a great deal is being seen nationally. And the Titans have a couple chances here. They were on Monday Night Football last night. In a month, in three weeks now, they're on Sunday Night Football, which is really the biggest stage. It's unfair to him. But against the Los Angeles Rams, if he has another regular, which uh, uh, quite frankly, this is a regular Derrick Henry game, maybe not the three touchdowns, but certainly the yardage, and it doesn't matter what shape it comes in really, uh, as long as he gets to that number. But if he goes to Los Angeles and has 125 yards and a couple of touchdowns, that will help his case even more. Uh, And then what do they have a Thursday night later on? So they'll have three ultimate chances on national TV. If he does this three times on national TV, it will help him. He's not going to get there, but he should get some votes. But why not? I mean, I hate hate that we have these things. I hate hard and fast rules. I do too. Well, he's not going to get there because it always goes to a quarterback. Well, in 1998, it usually went to a quarterback or running back, and they decided to give it to a defensive player for the Heisman Trophy one year. I think this should be the year that being a running back in contention should help him. Well, I think being a running back that leads the way for your team completely is so different in today's football, in today's NFL, that we should value that more than quarterback just through the lens of what the Titans with Derrick Henry and how that offense now is Derrick Henry for the Titans that should work in his favor at and some point. And it depends point. on what they do uh, as a team, certainly. But in 1998, there was Peyton Manning fatigue, right? If there's Patrick Mahomes fatigue or it's whatever, you go to, to the next. Well, that's, you, the, that's why he's not going right. to win but it. But you go I, know, to the I next, know what you're saying. You go Dak, to the next Dak quarterback. Prescott, right. Dak Prescott or Kyler Murray is going well, to that, win. You it, go to the next fresh quarterback, yes. which is exciting. That's what Paul's saying. Patrick Mahomes isn't going to be the MVP this year. If you're tired of Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady, well, there's Kyler Murray or Dak Prescott. New to give fresh quarterbacks to, to choose. My but, point is, but also let's, if, if, let's at some point, yes, but at some point, let's look at the fact that this is the only running back that is doing this, coming close to it at this pace that leads the way for his offense. There are some great running backs in the NFL. There's not a single one that everything rotates around. And that's, that's Derrick Henry. They go as he goes. And I hope that that's valued. I don't think he's going to win it either, and I hate admitting that, but I would love for it to not just be this understanding that, well, it's going to go to a quarterback if because it stays, always goes to a quarterback. If he stays on this pace, I think what this will do is confirm that basically MVP is quarterback award. The best he or, or uh, Watt, when he had that phenomenal year in Houston, could do or anybody can do is win offensive or defensive player of the year if you're not a quarterback. And that's just the new rule. And the discussion will eventually melt because it'll just be established that that's how it is. We don't like it, but the voters aren't going to change it. Uh, And I don't understand why. Or the Associated Press should go to its voters with some kind of uh, plea or instruction. 
about it not being, or they should change the voting. Quite I, frankly, I just don't know how you do that. And Paul. instead how, of voting, how do you tell someone not to vote for Kyler Murray well, or Dak Prescott? Yeah, don't don't say that. But go away from the vote for one name and say vote for your top three and do a points system. And then if everybody votes Derrick Henry second, but they vote different quarterbacks first, he would have a chance. Well, and if right? he has, if, if he, he has, has points, if he has back to back two thousand yard rushing seasons and doesn't win the MVP, then then yeah, p- put a fork in it because the chances of a running yeah. back ever winning, it's over. I mean, there's nothing else a running back could ever but do. But am I wrong? If every single person, 48 voters or whatever, voted him second, and different people voted for I Dak mean, and look, Kyler Murray here's first, the, he could win it. Let's unpack what the real issue is. The media's lazy. Yes. Did you hear Chris Broussard this morning? Oh, oh that Speaking was of lazy. That's a disaster. I mean, the problem with Derrick Henry is he plays for the Tennessee Titans. Let's just say problem. that. If he played for the, the Cowboys? The media doesn't know that Taylor Lewan plays on this team. That, that's a huge issue for Henry. Paul's over here saying that he's on national TV three times. Guess how many times the Dallas Cowboys are playing on national TV Six this year? Six or seven. The Mac. That's all she wrote. If Dak, if Dak Prescott remains healthy, it's done. He's well, the MVP. Is, we can look at it through the lens of our show even. This is the one day... Really, the last two days, it's very few times where you can say the national story also happens to be centered in Nashville or the state of Tennessee. Yesterday with the Tennessee Ole Miss ending with college football and now with Derrick Henry on national television. It's unique because it's the Titans and everyone saw that game last night and loved it. So everyone is regurgitating talking points now, but those regurgitated talking points happen to be about the Tennessee Titans. There's an edict with most national shows to talk Cowboys, East Coast teams, <laughs> Rams, right? I mean, you know you're going to get that on national shows every single day. Chris, well, Chris Broussard. But, but for good reason. I mean, the yes. Dallas Cowboys have four of the six highest rated games uh, this season for they the NFL. they got the most fans. I mean, you're playing to the, to, to the most fans. Right? But here's, a lot of those fans are in the media. But here is what, yes, and... The problem, though, with, with all this is the media that votes on these awards should be smarter. They should do more homework. They should know the league better and not fall into traps of what just the consumer would fall into, which is understandable. You're going to play the hits. You're going to play the favorites. So you're going to talk Cowboys. You're going to talk huge East Coast markets. You're going to talk Rams this year, a big team of interest in a rather large market in Los Angeles. But writers have to be smarter. If you have a vote for MVP, you're not just someone viewing a show. You're someone that has a responsibility to understand, know the league, and know trends across the league. And for Chris Broussard, know that Taylor Lewan plays for the Titans and not the Bills. Yeah, That's an and Deion Dawkins wasn't in replacing him. Chris Broussard said this morning on his show uh, that Taylor Lewan was not in the game at left tackle, and that's why Josh Allen did not get the first down on that quarterback sneak because he was, missing, he was missing his starting left tackle, Taylor Lewan. And Deion Dawkins was replacing him, and that's who Jeffrey Simmons blew up. Here, here's something, I, since we're into a decent conversation about, about the MVP thing. I, I think, I thought in 2003, when Steve McNair shared MVP with Peyton Manning, that it was unbecoming of my colleague at the time, Jeff Legwald, who had a vote in the Associated Press poll. I thought it was unbecoming, I will say, of him to campaign for Steve McNair in that. And his campaigning for Steve McNair helped Steve McNair unquestionably garner 
half the votes and, and capture half that award. But now I would say, and I'm not a voter in, in Nashville, so I don't know that it's my place, but I am a Hall of Fame voter, and there's a ton of campaigning that goes on. You gather uh, stuff for the candidate that you represent, who you believe is worthy of getting voted now. We're, we're in the process of voting, you know, a couple hundred guys into 25 guys. And you get letters of support and, and statistical evidence, and you pass that through the Hall of Fame to everybody and say, guys, uh, everybody, not just guys, uh, board, you know, here's some stuff I'd like you to consider as you whittle your list to 25. Here's, here's a case for, for player X. And I wonder if that shouldn't happen for somebody like Derrick Henry as it comes to MVP voting time. Hey, I know we vote for quarterbacks all the time. But here's a compelling case you ought to consider for Derrick Henry. Now, I, journalistically, that's kind of a hazy place. And I'm not a voter, so I don't know that it'd be my place. But may, maybe I should, or maybe uh, Teresa Walker, who votes in it, should send out something like that in advance of MVP voting time. Well, ultimately, what they're going to have to campaign against is that the MVP is on the sideline on third down. Yes, but see, I, I agree with you, Hutton, except what we're saying is everybody's... Because the quarterbacks are on the field. I know, but what we're saying is everybody's lazy, right? And so the lazy people who are just going to write down Dak Prescott from looking at the stat book, they don't know that Derrick Henry doesn't play third down. But my differ the difference is they're going to regurgitate what others are going to say, and they do watch Dak Prescott play right. every week. But not many of them know that Derrick Henry doesn't play third down, and they will see 2,200 yards or whatever and 18 touchdowns or whatever it is, and if the Titans win the division by a couple games and do whatever, the body of work's going to look pretty well, damn good. He's on pace for the most touchdowns in a single season by a running back rushing. The extra game's going to help him. And doing things that put him on lists with Jim Brown and sure. Earl Campbell and, and all-time greats. O.J. Simpson. Yeah. And I've listed the Hall of, came, the Hall of Fame status for, for his games uh, this past offseason and the trek that he's on. And what he can do that other backs just simply haven't done. He's, he's already doing it right in front of our eyes. The best is at his best currently. There is no debating that. I know we're going to hit on more out of this game in the Tennessee Power Hour. I, I got a couple unsung heroes on, on this Titans team that we haven't talked about that, that need to get stars out of, out of this game, uh, amongst the other things I, I want to still talk about. We switch gears and talk college football, SEC football. Glenn Gilbo is a columnist for Outkick.com covering the SEC. He'll be in Oxford this weekend, and that's where we start. We start with Ole Miss and Tennessee from this past weekend. Glenn, hope you're doing well. Hello. Good afternoon, guys. Hey, your thoughts on Ole Miss and Tennessee and the, the, all the hype going into it. We know how it ended with the 22-minute delay. But the game itself, what's your big takeaway from what you saw from the Vols and the Rebels in that game? Well, what, what I was most impressed with from Ole Miss was, that, was their defense. You know, Lane is this offensive coordinator known for great offenses and, and a real bad defense last year. But his defense has improved this year, and he kind of won this game with his defense. Uh, kind of shut Tennessee down throughout the second half and uh, was able to win the game without – you know, a lot of offense. Uh, so, you know, that's some proof that 
he's getting to be having more of a balanced team and being more of a balanced coach. What'd you make of the 13, uh, in air quote, injury delays <laughs> in the second half alone for Ole Miss's defense to help slow Tennessee down? Do, do you feel like it's a problem worthy of discussion from the powers that be in college football about changing the rule in some way where you have to sit out three or four plays? Or is it simply this is now going to be what Tennessee is going to see moving out? The other, other teams are going to try to deploy this same strategy that Lane Kiffin used in the second half to slow them down. You know, I mean, I could fake a cramp right now because <laughs> I've seen it so often in, in football, you know, and the trainer comes out there and bends the toes back and straightens out the calf. That's an extremely easy injury to fake, you know, unlike other injuries, I think. Uh, so you don't know if the guy's really hurt or, or if he's faking. Uh, and that's that's bad. Um so and and I don't know how a ref could could tell that, um, but uh, you know it is. Uh, and amazingly, this is what Nick Saban warned against when he was campaigning for the the ten second rule for so defenses could uh, you know get set for the offense because he was a defensive coach. And one of the things he brought up was you know for all these plays, it's going to lead to uh, you know to more injuries and so forth and. And uh, you know we we do see that with the with the cramps, so that doesn't it doesn't last long. But uh, you know something there there might have to be some kind of a, a rule, like you said, you know maybe get the player off the field as as quick as possible, and they and they have to be replaced instead of uh, getting them better so they can play because that delays the game even more. Glenn Gilbo with us from Outkick.com. Uh, Glenn covered LSU for more than twenty five years. Uh, you know the ins and outs of that university and that, that athletic program. Take us behind the scenes of LSU parting ways uh, with Coach O and the fact that Orgeron's out, but finishing the season, has the championship a couple of years ago, five wins last year, out this year, after the game where they beat Florida, and then they have the handshake press conference and he's going to finish out the year. How, how bizarre this saga has been. LSU is is just one of the more bizarre schools that that there is. I mean, these type of things are always happening here. They, you'd think they would know how to hire and fire a coach uh, normally, but it's all, <laughs> uh, you know, a big soap opera, and there's always a lot of drama and intrigue and mystery and lies. I mean, I, I often refer to LSU as lying state university because there's just so much of that that goes on. And, and, you know, really they didn't keep their story straight during, during the press conference, uh, which I thought was interesting and happens often, you know, coach O said, Oh, well, this wasn't finalized until today. But then earlier in the press conference, he said he knew he was gone after the Kentucky game. So when he met with Scott Woodward, so he, and he was fired uh, before the Florida game and agreed to coach the rest of the season. And then, and then he, he, he has his best game. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, I've, I know of basketball coaches, Sonny Smith at Auburn and Bob Weltlick at Florida International, I think. They, they both were fired and agreed to end the season, finish the season, and then they won and got to the NCAA tournament and they kept their job. So, you know, what, what if Coach Orgeron wins, you know, every game left on his schedule except Alabama? Do you, do you change your mind? I mean, it's, it's just crazy the way LSU handled, handled this, I think. 
He talked of uh, buying himself some burgers for the next year before resurfacing. Yeah. Uh, what do you envision for him uh, in 2023? Coach Orgeron is the hamburger. I mean, there's no question <laughs> about it. I mean, he's, he's getting $17 million of a buyout, and he's only 9-8 and eight in his last 17 games. He, he does not deserve that type of buyout, especially when you look at the uh, some of those off-field issues with the Title IX lawsuit and Darius Geis and Drake Davis sexual assault cases. I'm, I'm surprised LSU didn't try to or at least discuss, uh, you know, firing him with cause and, and getting some of that buyout down. But uh, I think what happened was LSU was concerned with Coach O knows about them. <laughs> because he's been in the middle of all these things that have been going on, you know, let, Coach O worked for less, you know, and he he's he, he had all he was in the news for his behavior as, as well, and 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 as part of the Title IX lawsuit, so it's it's the ultimate, uh, you know, give and take for this agreement. But but Coach O is getting a really nice take, seventeen million dollars. And he said he's not going to coach again. Uh, you know, he said he's going to spend time with his kids and buy hamburgers and uh, just take it easy. Glenn, is there a name that you've heard already for the LSU job that you've thought to yourself, yeah, no way. There's no way they go in this direction, just based on names that have been circulated. Um, well, no way. I mean, a, I, I knew right right away, no way Jimbo Fisher was coming here. Now, LSU would like to go that direction, but I just don't think there's any way Jimbo wants to come to, to LSU. Okay. I mean, he's, he's getting things going at, at Texas A&M. So that, that's one, one name that a lot of people think could happen that I don't think will happen. Who, who is the guy – you had a great hot list up, the hot board at, at OutKick. Who's the guy you would call first if you're LSU? Realistic option that you think would at least listen hard at an offer from from LSU. Who, who's that one guy you would call first on your list? We just talked about him, uh, Lane Kiffin. Um, I really like Lane. I think he's grown up from when he was the Raiders coach and when he was the Tennessee coach. He's a brilliant offensive mind. LSU has never had a true offensive coordinator as its head coach. Uh, Les Miles and Jerry DiNardo were offensive coordinators, but they were line coaches and they weren't really pass coordinators when they were coordinators. Lane Kiffin would be, you know, the, the best offensive genius LSU has had uh, since Jimbo Fisher, who, who was the offensive coordinator. Uh, and was considered briefly to replace Nick Saban back in 2004. So I would definitely talk to Lane and I would talk to, uh, and, and Lane's 46, you know, that that's young for a head coach and, uh, and LSU needs somebody younger, to, you know, so you can have some stability in the program and, and, and have somebody there for a good while, 15, 20 years, maybe. Uh, and Luke Fickle also in his forties, um, at uh, Cincinnati, I would definitely talk to those two. Glenn Gilbo covers the SEC for OutKick. He will be at Oxford this weekend for Ole Miss hosting LSU. This is a Tigers team that played well last week, Glenn. Uh, did not quit uh, against Florida. Won that game. High-scoring matchup 
uh, against the Gators, ran the ball extremely well against that Gators defense. What's Ole Miss in for against this LSU team? What type of team do you think shows up after all this news has circulated and, and come forward? Well, you know, if they played that well last week when – now, the players didn't know their coach was leaving, but but Coach O knew he was, and, and still – and maybe some of his assistants, I would guess, probably did too. So if they were able to, to, to perform like that last week, I would think they'll, they'll do very well at Ole Miss as well. Um, you know, the, the, the running game made dramatic improvement. And, uh, you know, when, when you can do that at mid season, I think that's the mark of a, of a good coach, both the leader coach Orgeron and Brad Davis, their, their offensive line coach, uh, you know, the defense got four interceptions. Uh, the defense is decent this season after being terrible last year, they've, they've been okay this season. So, um, and then we saw Tyron Davis Price have a great game, though the holes were really big. Um, I, I think Ole Miss is going to see um, a very good team that that has confidence now and that can uh, play a little defense and and run the ball to complement quarterback Max Johnson, who's who's had a really good season, considering he didn't have a running game and much protection for the first six games. So so LSU goes to Ole Miss at its at its best and and probably with you know, some psychological lift uh, with with the coach under fire. You know, that's settled now. So that that might help. Glenn Gilbo, uh, follow him on Twitter at LSU Beat Tweet. And, of course, read his work at Outkick.com. Columns up throughout the week. And, of course, the SEC game day each Saturday. Glenn, really enjoying your work at the site. Keep up the great work, and we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks. Okay, thank you guys. Have a good one. You Thanks, too. Glenn. Glenn Gilbo has been our guest. Coming up, we one will... One big vote, Kiffin. We will have... Uh, it, well, he, Two. Count yeah. Hutton on that list. Too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, when we come back, we will get into the 360 headlines of the day. John McClain joins us at 3 o'clock, so that's in roughly 15 minutes with NFL headlines. We'll get his reaction to last night's finish between Tennessee and Buffalo on Monday night. We'll look ahead to Week Seven slate. But when we come back, an NBA star who just quit legitimate superstar just walked out of practice and the Braves can take a 3-0 series lead tonight against the LA Dodgers this is Outkick 360 Outkick 360 rolls on in high school you guys have heard the story about the the kid who smoked in the locker room for me um yes uh, what teammate of mine uh, we called Legend. we called it his uh, his wind sticks because he would smoke prior to practice and then he would outrun all run of the us. Run Like at the end of practice, you run laps. And so he he's would, a physical marvel. Yeah, he's it, just physically insane. blessed. Insane. Those were his. He has wind lung sticks. cancer now, but back then he was maybe not. He's probably he's just would withstand everything. He once uh, quit practice in the middle of practice. Got so upset with a coach that he took off his practice uniform and shorts and walked out in his his uh, tennis shoes and boxer shorts and went straight to the locker room and quit the team. Ben Simmons didn't did do he, that today. Did he return? Oh, uh, yeah, he did. He returned. I've uh, got to have somebody to run in the fourth guy. quarter. Um, <laughs> ben Simmons didn't do that with the 76ers, but he did the equivalent of that where he just dropped the basketball and left. I mean, is this a surprise? Ben Simmons has no interest in, in doing anything. You can't, can't shoot a foul shot. I mean... First off, remind me to tell you guys about multiple guys who threw their practice jersey in a coach's face when I was playing at Mount Juliet. I saw it twice. 
uh, happen where a guy walked out of a practice having thrown the jersey at someone. I saw another time where a guy threw an entire ball rack filled with balls. He threw the he threw the jersey and then the entire ball rack back onto the court. Screw Ben Simmons. While we're practicing, Let's just talk which about was uh, which was an amazing moment. So Ben Simmons. Return to the 76ers. Yeah. This is a this is a hilarious fact. Uh, After to be Return to the 76ers on October 11th, and he has not been paid a dime since he returned to the team because he has consistently missed meetings or been kicked out of practice. He has been fined to, for the privilege of being a part of the 76ers. He has paid the 76ers and NBA 1.4 million dollars since the end of last season. He has not made a dime in his contract. He has forked over $1.4 million for absences from four preseason games and numerous team fines for mispractice on-court workouts and meetings. And today it boiled over in practice where Doc Rivers can continue to tell him to join a defensive drill. And he said no. And he said, no, I'm good, wouldn't do it. And Doc just went up to him and said, just go ahead and leave. And then he, he left and up. he got fined and he's been suspended for their first game of the season against the New Orleans Pelicans, where he will now be fined. He'll miss out. I'm sorry. He's going to lose a $227,000 check. So by not playing in that one, one game, game, 227K. So let's do the math here. Ben Simmons, because of his insubordination of not wanting to play for Philadelphia, has now paid Philadelphia $1.67 million. Since the end of last year. Let's have a refresher here. From the moment their season ended last year, wasn't it like foregone conclusion, Ben Simmons cannot be back on this team. There's no way they can go forward with Ben Simmons. They've got to offload Ben Simmons. No matter what, there has to be a way for him not to be on this team next year. Then the headlines constantly were about the trade for this, trade for that. I was amazed that any team would be interested in him. Uh, and lo and behold, no trade. But after an entire offseason where all the talk was about how Ben Sim Simmons couldn't be back, they had to trade him, lo and behold, he's standing on the court, uh, well, standing they, on the court probably, briefly I mean, and walking off. I, I don't they know. They just go about the status quo like nothing happened? No, I don't know what they tried. They could have tried to trade him. They couldn't they did get anything try, for but him. They, they want a superstar who is going to continue to allow them to, to be compete in the, for a championship. Yes. I understand, but how can you go forward with this guy? Well, okay, he was so like let's, destructive to them. Let's go back. Remind before, me what happened in the playoffs. He like stopped playing. I mean, the Texans let, still have Deshaun Watson on their roster. He didn't, he didn't stop playing. What happened was, let's go back before the last season. Yes. He, he passed up a dunk that would have given them the lead with under four minutes left. And, mm -hmm. and that's when everything started and people started openly speaking out against him. Joel Embiid had this to say today when asked about it. I'm trying to win. And to win, you have to have relationship with your teammates. I do have that relationship with all my teammates. Oh, Notice this is him yeah. basically saying not, yeah, that he's not a teammate. Not a teammate. At the end of the day, it's, our, it's not our job to babysit somebody. We get paid big money to produce on the court. You go out, you play hard, you win some games. That's what we get paid to do. We don't get paid to come out here and try to babysit somebody. So that's not our job. And I'm sure my teammates feel that way. That from Joel Embiid. Crazy situation with Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers. And yes, Hutton, I immediately thought about many times growing up playing basketball of things like this happening. <laughs> this is like a junior high or high school basketball story where a guy is mad at the coach and refuses to, to play in a drill or do something and then eventually just gets sent to the... Usually it's someone yelling at him, get out of here, you're a distraction, go to the locker room. 
This was apparently Doc Rivers just telling him to leave after not doing a drill. Chad, tonight, Charlie Morton on the mound for the Braves. A chance to take a 3-0 series lead. The Dodgers' bullpen is a wreck. What are you expecting tonight in L.A.? That game is in a little over an hour. In fact. Oh, it's tonight. It's not it's, tonight. Yeah, it is a uh, so four it's noon four oh eight central. It's a uh, noon two oh eight two oh eight p.m. Uh, middle of the afternoon game uh, in the, L.A. You gotta get the Red Sox. Hun's disappointed because he wants that late night start. Gotta get the Red Sox. I see L.A. and I think nine o'clock first pitch. Well, here's what's going to happen. Um, oh, I I, I'm completely happen. shifted now on this uh, this oh, no. Braves team. Oh no! I told Dylan, our production <laughs> oh, assistant, oh, when no. he walked in. Um, Braves fans will be very mad about this, but Charlie effing Morton is about to end the Dodger season today. That's that's what's going to happen in this game. He is going to pitch brilliantly. The Braves are going to go to L.A. They're going to take a commanding 3-0 lead. They couldn't hold on to a 3-1 lead a year ago. They will hold on to a 3-0 lead. Braves win today and go on to win this series. Here you go. Here's what's going to happen. Dodgers, run line. Bam. <laughs> Bam. John no McClain joins us next. Charlie Morton. NFL headlines, Monday Night Football recap, and much more. We'll also look ahead to the games coming up this weekend. NFL Talk next on Outkick 360.